All right. Good morning. I'm Joe Collins, and as you know, we are following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. So there was this preacher who got invited to a convention to speak. He was one of many preachers who were asked to speak at this convention, and each of the preachers were given about 20 minutes for their lesson. So when his time came, he got up to the podium and he was on the stage speaking to an audience and behind him were the other ministers that were scheduled to preach and they were sort of sitting in the chairs behind him in the, in the choir section. And he began preaching. And he was passionate and he was going through the Bible and he was teaching God's Word with enthusiasm. And, and about the 20 minute mark when he was supposed to wrap up, he wasn't done. And so he just, he just kept going. Pretty soon he came up on about 30 minutes, but he still wasn't done. So he just, he just kept going. And then 40 minutes, and then 50 minutes, and then about an hour into it, the audience had gotten a little restless. Even some of the people in the audience and even some of the preachers behind him began to, to doze off a little bit in the middle of his message, but he still kept going. 70 minutes, 80 minutes, at about 90 minutes, finally someone in the front row took a songbook and threw it at him. He ducked and it hit one of the preachers behind him who had dozed off and it hit him right in the head and knocked him off his chair. And as that minister, that preacher was falling to the ground, he cried out, hit me again because he's still going. <laughs> I can tell you I'm not going to go 90 minutes today. I don't even think I'll go very long today. It's going to be very short, but hopefully very powerful. And I hope that you stay with me. That even the elder among us, John, stays awake for about 20 minutes. As we look at God's Word together this morning, turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 35 to 41. Of course, we're going to pray before we read. Father, we ask for your Spirit to be with us, minister to us. Help us to see the beauty of your word, the message that's there, and the meaning for our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, we've been following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, and we've basically been going where Jesus went. Wherever Mark tells us he went, we followed. And we've been learning from the life of Jesus in each of these scenarios, in each of these locations, great truths from the life of Jesus that are great and important to our lives. But in Mark chapter 4, the first part of it anyways, Mark sort of, sort of took a side, uh, stepped away from his narrative of following Jesus, and he, and he just sort of went, and he, and he gave us some, a snapshot of some of the teachings of Jesus, and we looked at four of the parables of Jesus. And now in verse 35, he's returning to his little timeline. He's returning to the, the narrative of following Jesus. And it says, that day when evening came. So, so we get this image of Jesus having finished a long day of teaching. And he happened to be in a boat out, you know, just offshore, teaching to crowds of people on the shore. It was, it was a way for him to be able to speak to large numbers without being swamped by the mob, by the crowd. And when he was done, he looked at the guys that, in the boat that, that were in the boat with him, and he said, let's go to the other side. 
Now, if you look at our map on the screen, you see the Sea of Galilee up there in the top of Palestine. And Jesus at this point was probably somewhere near the city of Capernaum. And when he said, let's go to the other side, he was referring to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, right about where I put that star. This is an area known as the region of the Gerasenes. It was in a province called the Decapolis. That means 10 cities. It was a very Greek region. It was Hellenized. People spoke Greek there. Greek culture was pervasive. It wasn't the comfortable Jewish environment that Capernaum was. This is where Jesus says, let's go. Let's go to the other side. Now, there's no reason given for why Jesus, out of the blue, all of a sudden, at the end of his teaching, while in this boat, just decided, let's get out of here. But he seems to, if you, fall, if you look at the language, he seems to have left pretty abruptly. It was like, let's go. There was no going back to the shore. It says, they took him along just as he was. There was no going back to the shore. There was no getting some supplies. There was no, you know, taking a shower and packing bags. It was just, drop the mic, let's go. And so they leave. They take off to head to the other side, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. No returning to the shore. Apparently, Jesus, or at least him looking at his disciples, he needed to get away. And this was a fairly quick exit away. If you think about the story of Mark to this point, the first four chapters, we have a lot of information about the movements of Jesus. And to sum it up, he was going basically from town to village in the region of, of Galilee up there in the north of Palestine. And he was teaching and he was preaching and he was going from morning to night and he was healing. He was performing wonders and signs and miracles. And, and it, was a, it was a very heady time. It was a very busy time. It was a very active time. Incredible things were happening. People were being healed. Miracles were occurring. Messages were being taught that were stunning people, stopping them in their tracks, and it was going on for an extended period of time. By this time, it had been several months to a year that Jesus had started his ministry, and it was just sort of non-stop. It was like a campaign trail. It was just, he was going. I'm not saying he was running for president, but he was running. He was out there, and he was moving, and he was getting the message out, and here he is finally at this point where he's done, and it's time for a break, probably is the indication here. Let's go. And, and the fact that he just left right from the podium to the other side is an indication of, of the, the, the popularity that Jesus had. Because the crowds wouldn't leave him alone. I mean, they were all around him. Constantly clamoring. And I'm sure it must have been physically exhausting to Jesus and to the disciples. Remember, Jesus is both God and man. And in his human nature, he must have been pretty tired pretty exhausted. And, and perhaps getting to the other side was just a way of getting away, of, of needing a break. You know, I love this passage of Scripture, 35, we're going to read all the way through to 41, but one of the things I love about this passage is the amount of detail that's in this passage. It's unique. It's unusual to give us this much detail. We know the time of day. We know that uh, the direction of where they were going. We see that they left abruptly. Jesus didn't even go back to shore just as he was. And then this interesting detail at the end, which is my favorite, there are other boats that went along. 
These details help us have confidence that what we're reading, what we're looking at is real-time story, real-time accounting of the incident. As we go on, you're going to see other details. He was on a cushion. Uh, the, the winds and waves were swamping the boat. We're going to get into that. But, but the point is, is there's so much detail here that it really gives us confidence that what we're seeing here is an eyewitness account. Now, many people believe that Mark, whose name was John Mark, was, Jesus, was Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' followers. Simon changed name to Peter. That John Mark was Peter's ghostwriter. He was like his secretary. And that's probably true. From all evidences, that seems to be the case. That, that the, the gospel of Mark is really the memory of, of Peter as he passed it on to Mark. John Mark. But interestingly enough, in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 12, we find out that John Mark grew up in a household that, the, that Peter and the other disciples were very familiar with. In fact, they were, they were friends. They had a relationship. John Mark's mom often hosted the disciples at her house, even shortly after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. And so there's some indication here that John Mark might have been a little kid during some of these events. In other words, he might have been an eyewitness too. Maybe we're getting both John Mark and Peter's recollection of what's happening. My favorite detail in this whole couple of verses here, these first two verses, is that line, there were other boats with him. It seems so unnecessary. It seems so benign. It doesn't even seem to make a point. Okay, there were other boats with him. Do you ever see a baseball game at Giant Stadium up in San Francisco? They have a, 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 a bay just outside. The, the stadium literally sits on the, on the coast, on the edge of the water. And there's an area, I think it's in right field, called McCovey Cove. And uh, it's the, 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 the stadium is just short enough that a good power hitter can actually hit the ball out of the park and into the cove. And, and on the highlight reels, you'll always see there's people in boats hanging around out there waiting for a ball to come over the, over the wall. And I kind of pictured this scene like that. The crowds were so enthusiastic. They were so interested. They were so there with Jesus that they were all along the shore. Some of them may have been waiting in the water, kids splashing around, Jesus out there in a boat. Other boats came out. They were all there just surrounding him, wanting to hear him, wanting to see a miracle, wanting something from him. It was incredibly popular. And so when he finished, he said, we got to go. Didn't even waste time going back to shore because they would have mobbed him. He just took off. And then, and then some of the other boats went with him. They followed him out there. You know, if you go far enough when it comes to Jesus, if you're willing to go far enough with him, you have a good chance of seeing some incredible miracles. The further you go with Jesus, the greater your experience of him will be. At the REACH conference, one of the things I love about our church conferences that happen is we get to hear the missionaries from other parts of the world. And the stories they tell are just mind-blowing. I don't even want to give them away because maybe we'll watch a couple of those videos at some point point. let them tell them. But they're just amazing. 
And these things happen because people are willing to go far with Jesus. They're willing to get all the way out there on the lake with Him, and, and, and they get to experience incredible things. The same is true for you and I. It's so funny, we don't think of ourselves as missionaries. We think of people being sent out to other worlds, but the, other, other countries. But the truth is, we are missionaries right here, and we actually can go farther with Jesus. And the farther we go, the more willing we are to follow Him and pursue Him, all the way out onto a lake even, the more experiences, the greater they will be. The more we'll have and the greater they will be. Verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, another detail. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So this statement, a furious squall, is a true statement. Even today on the Sea of Galilee, they get these kinds of storms that suddenly come out of nowhere. And they're incredibly violent. And in those days, on the relatively small fishing boats that they were on, they were very dangerous storms because they would swamp boats. Mount Hermon is just north of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee sits in down, down low on sea level in the, in the Jordan River Valley, and the storms from Mount Hermon drop some 700 feet down into the valley, and when they drop, they condense, they become intense, and then they hit the Sea of Galilee, and these things can whip up and be incredibly violent. And the language here is very appropriate. It was a furious squall. Waves broke over the boat. It was nearly swamped. This is eyewitness detail. These are specific accounts of this was an intense storm. By the way, at least four of the guys on the boat were experienced fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. That's what they did for a living. They fished on the Sea of Galilee. And if they're telling us this was a crazy storm. You better believe it was a crazy storm. And in the midst of it all, Jesus is on a cushion, sound asleep. I used to go deep sea fishing with my uncle. He had a small boat. My, my uh, brother-in-law, Pat's here, and, and he went with us many times. We used to go quite a bit in the summer. And, and he had a small boat. Uh, 30 something feet or whatever and we would go out and I would go up to the front of the boat there was a cushion on the front of the boat this was in the back of the boat and and because it would take a couple hours to get where we were going to go fishing and I would lay just lay down on that cushion and go to sleep and I was not in any kind of danger or any kind of serious storm but I, I know what it's like to be asleep on a boat and just kind of the rocking and the bouncing just kind of put you to sleep Jesus was sound asleep in the back of the boat in the midst of a major storm, water crashing over the bows, the disciples running around hurriedly trying to keep the boat from sinking, bailing water out, fixing the riggings. I don't know what they were doing. And there's Jesus just sleeping away. I don't think it was just physical exhaustion. I don't think it was just because he was so tired he was dead to the world. I actually think there's something else happening here. Psalms 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Jesus could sleep in a very treacherous, precarious, dangerous situation. He could sleep soundly because he knew where he stood with God. 
How's your sleep been lately? How secure are you in the love of God? Or are you still trying to build the house and watch the city and do it all yourself? Or are you really in touch and in tune with the fact that God is in control? And once you give up control to Him, it's so much easier to rest at night. It's so much easier to just sleep through the night regardless of the chaos. So I think it was more than just physical exhaustion. Jesus was just comfortable. He was secure. Of course, the disciples, it's a whole other story. They're panicking. They're running through the boat trying to figure out what to do in the midst of this major storm. Now, I'll tell you another boat story. My uncle, we would go out periodically, and one time we actually came back and it got pretty bad. The wind came up, the waves came up, and we were going as, as many miles forward as we were sideways. And I don't think it was anything like that. Waves weren't crashing over the boat, but we were scared. I remember being pretty scared, like, are we going to get there? Now, we had a, a big old diesel motor in the back of that boat that just chugged along, and as long as you heard that thing humming a low hum, you felt safe. But i got to tell you, I was pretty nervous that whole ride in. It took us twice as long to get back as it did to go out, and, and you know, it was, it was scary. We broke a few things on the boat, a few things happened. I can't imagine what it would have been like on a, such a smaller boat, no motor in the back. This thing's bouncing around, waves are coming over. I mean, this was absolutely a terrifying situation. And so the disciples were scared and they were fearing for their lives. These seasoned fishermen were fearing for their lives. And then at some point they turn around and there's Jesus asleep. It's comical when you think about it. And at some point they run back to him and, and the language doesn't really tell us in detail, but, but really they kind of rudely waken him. Don't you care? What are you doing? How is it that you can be here so asleep? And then Jesus belts out, quiet, be still. Now, all the gospels say that he rebuked the wind and the waves. Matthew Luke and Mark that record this story, they say that he rebuked the wind and the waves, but I can't help but think he might have been rebuking them also. It was one of those rebukes that went right through you to nature. Immediately the wind and the waves died down. It was completely calm. If you've ever been on water, and the wind whips up and the waves come up. When the wind calms down, the water stays agitated for quite some time. This was no coincidence. This was no, oh, the storm just happened to break at that point. No, it doesn't get completely calm all at once. This was clearly a miracle. A miracle over nature. The wind and the waves calmed down. And so did the disciples. And then Jesus looked at them and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still, that's the key word, have no faith. They had been with him for the past several months, six months to a year. They had seen miracles. They had seen the teachings. I mean, it was an incredible time. They were going from morning to night. It was an, just, a, just an awe-inspiring scene. And their faith was not where it should have been. Is your faith where it should be? I've been a Christian more than 20 years. I've been in the ministry coming up on 20 years. And i got to tell you, if Jesus came down and sat me down, I think he would look at me and go, do you still lack faith? 
I think all of us could use a gentle kick in the rear end to, to, to elevate our faith game. To put more faith in Jesus. To act with more faith than we have been. But what's the problem? Why don't we? Well, just like the disciples, we get scared. You know, the opposite of faith is not always doubt. Sometimes it's fear. Fear oftentimes turns into doubt. And I think the disciples, they had been with him of anybody that should have been chill. And, they, you know, they see Jesus sleeping on the mattress. They should have been chill. Okay, well, he's okay. We're okay. It's like flying on a plane. You've all flown on a plane? You've been through some turbulence? And what do you do when you see the turbulence? You look at the stewardesses. When the stewardesses are walking around and passing out drinks, no big deal. I was on a flight one time, and I wouldn't say I was in any major turbulence that I can, you know, that I, I don't know what to compare it to, but, but it got bumpy, and the pilot came on and said, stewardesses, sit down and buckle up. And I went, no, in my heart. I was like, oh, no, we're in trouble. And it was fairly bumpy the rest of the ride home, but, I, you know, looking back, I'm sure it wasn't that bad. But, but you know, seeing them... I realized, okay, we got to be worried. Well, the disciples are in this boat. It's going crazy. He's asleep. If Jesus was up worried, be worried. But if Jesus is not worried, what do you got to worry about? What do you got to be afraid of? I think we get afraid because we get fearful, and that fear leads to doubt. And the doubt is all about what if. It's all about the unknown. What if? What if this doesn't go well? What if this boat doesn't, doesn't make it through this storm? What if the election in November doesn't go the way I want it to go? What if I never find the, 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 the person meant for me, the, the love of my life? I'm a parent of teenagers. What if my kids don't ever figure it out? There's so many what ifs in life. It's so full of what ifs, and that hurts my faith because I'm afraid of the what if. But this story came at a perfect time in my life because it reminded me as a parent of teenagers that Jesus is the Lord of even the what ifs. Even when he's asleep, he's got them covered. That should bring you and I a great amount of comfort. And I know I needed it this past week. Thinking about so many things. Are they going to go well? Is it going to turn out? There's so many what ifs and I get so fearful and there goes my faith. But thank God this was the story for this week. Because it reminded me that Jesus is the Lord of the what ifs. A disciple many years later put it this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is always aware of and working through whatever circumstance and situation you may find yourself in at any given point in time. And because of that fact, you don't have to fear the what-ifs. Or when you do fear the what-ifs, you can turn to Jesus. You can turn to Him and look for comfort. If He's sleeping on the cushion, we're good. It's amazing that the picture of our God asleep is what gives us comfort. I think we want to think of Him as running around trying to fix everything and managing everything, and He's on the job 
But no, when it comes to Jesus, when he's asleep, everything's good. And the fact of the matter is that any storm in your life, no matter what it is that's going on, no matter how serious it is to you and I, he's usually asleep in the back of the boat. He's really not worried about much of anything, if anything. In fact, nothing. And that ought to give us faith. That ought to comfort our fears. That ought to make us, that ought, that ought to make us a little more secure. That there's nothing he doesn't know about and there's nothing he's not working through. And so it may be dark now, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. Amen. Verse 41, the disciples were terrified. They were more afraid after the miracle than they were during the storm. They were terrified of Jesus. There was this moment where everything looked bad. Here was this storm and everything was crashing down. They were going down to Davy Jones' locker. Jesus says, be quiet, be still. And now they're all staring at him going, who are you? Who is this guy? What's happening right now? And suddenly all of their attention went to him and they were literally terrified. I imagine those other boats, probably somewhere nearby, they probably were like, what just happened? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I don't know about you, but I, I need a healthy dose of fear in my life. But not fear of the things that I'm afraid of, the what ifs. Fear of Jesus. There's a point where, you know, I'm more afraid of him than I am at anything else. And when I get that straight in my mind, the what ifs don't seem so dangerous anymore. I start to realize, you know, things are pretty okay. As long as my fear is in the right place, my awe, my reverence, my amazing, like my, my terror is looking at him, nothing else really, really worries me. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I suddenly have no fear, but when I am afraid, I can remind myself, he's the one I ought to be afraid of. He's the one I ought to be fearful and therefore put my faith in. Because he's much bigger than anything that I might face or that you might face. So what is it? What are you facing? What have you faced? What will you face? What is it? As scary as it is, it doesn't measure up to the power of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of it all. Amen. The ifs, the what ifs, and everything else. And so he's where our attention should be. So in my mind, when I read this story, I actually chuckle now because I can't help but think, what was the rest of the ride like? But really, I was sitting there thinking about that. What would it be like after all this to be in the boat? So I called Anthony Clark, our lovable intern, by the way, Anthony and Karina are going to no longer be interns. This is their last month. That was a decision they made. They felt like they'd gotten out of the intern program what they wanted. They had done a great job. I'd like everyone to give them a round of applause. We love them to death. We never want them to go anywhere. We want to keep them here as long as we possibly can. We're going to tie them down and keep them. Whether they're in, uh, interns or not, we love them. And they've done so much really crescendoing last week with going to teen, with the preteen camp or the junior high camp. 
they came over uh, last uh, Friday, Friday, Friday night, they came over and we just sat down and listened to them for a good hour, tell us all the stories about junior high camp. And boy, it was encouraging to hear what they did with the kids and, and just who they are. And we owe them a lot of gratitude and, and we are grateful to you guys. And thank you for volunteering, for interning, realizing that, hey, you want to move on to a different phase in life and we're fully supportive of you. But boy, are we thankful. Now, aside from being a great intern and a great bass player, Anthony is also an incredible artist. So I called him up and I said, Anthony, I have this, like, this comedic picture in my head. And I told him the story that I was going to talk about, the message and the sermon, and the, the story as I see it. And I said, would you draw me a picture of what this scene must have looked like the rest of the ride home? Because I want it emblazoned in my mind of how I should be the next time I give in to fear. And it affects my faithfulness. So here we go. Here's the picture. And I'm going to let you just look at it for a while and enjoy it. <laughs> I love the guy in the water. Like, that's, that's my favorite one. I mean, he's just, he's just staring. This is actually how we ought to be all the time. If our eyes are like this, if we're so focused on Jesus, if we're so tuned in to realizing that He is Lord of it all, boy, life gets a lot simpler. Boy, things become more safe. Boy, we get a lot more secure because He's the guy we're worried about. He's the guy our attention needs to be on. It's Him that we need to be focusing on, not the wind, the waves, the storm, the what-ifs. And He's sleeping and enjoying the rest of the ride home or to the other side. So thank you, Anthony. It's a great job on this picture. I... So if you hear nothing else from me today, and I'm going to wrap it up right here, but if you hear nothing else, let this be an image that makes the point, put your faith in Jesus. That's really what it's all about. That's what this story is about. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's Lord of the ifs, the what ifs, and everything else. So I got three things to help us. I'm just going to rattle these off and then we'll be done. But three things I think that, that I took away from the story that really helped me think about how do I put my faith in Jesus. Number one, get in the boat. Don't spectate. Only the people who were in the boat and the boats that followed, if they were still there, were the ones that saw the miracle. It was them that experienced something incredible. Get in the boat. Are you spectating? Are you sitting on the shore? Are you waiting for it to come to you? And to have? No, no, no. That's not how it works. You got to get in the boat. Number two, go far enough to see a miracle. Don't limit yourself. Don't try to manage your Christianity so that it's always comfortable for you. That it always fits within your little box and nothing pushes you out of your comfort zone. No, no, no. Get out there on the lake. Go far enough. It's great. You're in the boat. Amen. But don't limit yourself now. Get out there. Go for it. You will see incredible things. Miracles will happen. 
Okay, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I got to do this. Sean uh, Wooten, my favorite speaker pretty much of all time, tends to speak at a lot of these conferences. One of my favorites, I should say. He's a brother. He leads the church in Kiev. He's been a missionary in uh, Eurasia for 25 years, I think he said. More years than he's been an American. Hmm. I think it was the same number of years. I think, he'd, I think he said he'd lived outside the U.S. Is, is the same amount of time he'd been in the U.S. So the past 25 years or so, he's been on the mission field. You may have heard this story, some of you, and when we, we will eventually watch this sermon because it was my takeaway sermon from the, from the conference. But he tells this story about some brothers in Kiev who uh, were, <clears throat> they were in a family group or a small group, and they, they were feeling kind of flat, and they wanted to increase their faith, and they wanted to sort of get revived. And so they made a decision that, I think it was once a week or something, they would get up super, super early in the morning, and they would go out into the woods, and they would sing and pray. And so they started doing this just as a way to revive their spirit. And, and, and they would, when they went into the woods, they would go far into the woods because they wanted to be as loud as they could possibly be, cry their prayers out. They wanted to sing as loud as they wanted to sing and really just connect with God in the morning like that. So one day they went out into the woods. They got near this tree. And for a half an hour, they were singing and they were praying. And after about a half an hour, a guy climbed out of the tree they were under with a rope. And he said, I've been sitting up here all night planning on hanging myself. But I want to know what you've been singing and praying about. And the guy became a disciple. And he's a brother to this day. If you don't go far enough, you will never see the miracle. These brothers went far enough. God does amazing things. If we get in the boat, and if only we would go out on the sea, if we would only go far enough. Don't spectate. Don't limit ourselves. And lastly, be more afraid of Jesus than the what-ifs. Remember Anthony's picture. Be more afraid of Jesus than, a one ifs, than the what-ifs. So, I hope I didn't go too long today. I didn't see any books or phones or anything thrown at me. But I got to tell you, if I did go too long and you fell asleep, it's not that big of a deal. But let me tell you this. Don't ever fall asleep if Jesus is speaking to you. It's a lot worse than if you fall asleep when I'm speaking to you. So let's have a healthy fear and a healthy appreciation for Jesus Christ the Lord of the what-ifs. Let's stand. We're going to close out with a final song. Thank you very much for giving me your attention.